It's longer time. Yay! Yay. Lager Time, Poems, Stories and Thoughts, by me, Paul Cree. Who else? Greetings, bonjour, what's happening? Welcome to Lager Time, Lager Lights of Lager Land, lift your lagers in the sky and rejoice. It's Lager Time. This is just a quick intro this week, as you may be able to hear, the sound quality is not great. I'm up in London, not in my home studio. I'm currently getting ready to go and do this gig tonight at Poetry on Papa Doms. Oh yes, I'm back performing again. Yesterday, I did three gigs pretty much back to back in Maidstone, and it went really well. Knackering, but good. Met some great people. I was at school in the afternoon, then there was the launch for the Lit Fest which is the first ever one in the town. It was sick. I met the mayor and lots of councillors and other writers. Then did another gig in the evening, which is a networking night for Maidstone creators, which is really good uh, to meet some other people in the area. I did a little set on the loop station, which I've not done in a while. The other gigs being poetry once. So I had another episode of Young Unprofessional written and ready to record, but I've just not got round to it. This week has been a bit nuts. However, fear not my lager lights because I've got something quite special which I've been sitting on but I'm putting out today. This is a lager time first as I'm debuting a story written by my good friend and sometime collaborator, Christana Lee. So I voiced it a while ago now. She was doing me a favour really as I wanted some practice doing some voiceovers and asked her if she had any short stories and she pulled this banger out the bag. It was great fun voicing it and putting it together. It was a good learning curve. Christana is a great writer and a very good friend. She's also quite mysterious. You'll be hard pressed finding her online. But rest assured, she's working on lots of exciting stuff. And hopefully, I can get some more of her stuff on here. I wanted to record a chat with her, but she wasn't having it, mate. But I did ask her to introduce it, so she's written an intro, which you can see in the body of the email on Substack. Or if you're listening on another podcast provider, it should be in the description. If anyone else out there would like my dulcet tones on something you've written, get in touch. Anyway, that's it for now. I need to go and practice for the gig tonight. Then I'm off to Millwall tomorrow. With my brother Nat. There will most certainly be some lager action there. Keep it lager. Lager than life. Until next time. Peas and taters. Paul. Metallica's Enter Sandman threatens to break the second floor sash windows of the tall, thin townhouse, which seems to lean like it's being propped up by those either side of it. To its left, a laundrette, machines spinning infinitely, the odd bored person watching them from wooden benches inside. To its right, a baker's, shelves understocked. With this red-orange London brick, 
the lean parlour is run down, but in a fashionable kind of way, right for the yuppies that seem to be slivering all over the place these days like a flea infestation. The oversized wooden door is imported, painted a pearly, decadent jade, and underneath, where the paint peels a little, the rich wood finish peeps through at the passing traffic. Either side of the door frame, there is nailed a fabric banner, twice the length as their width. Each is china red with worn gold tassels, printed on them are two Asian cartoon-like warriors who bear teeth and weapons at visitors. On the middle panel, there's a brass spy hole, and painted on top of the door, in calligraphy, one word, Davies. An ornate brass doorbell sits just beneath the tassels of one of the warrior's banners. When Mackie presses it, the shrill electronic sound is unexpected. A few seconds later, the warriors speak in a husky East London accent with a high timbre. Hello? Degas has to blink several times as he watches Mackie reply, leaning in towards the warrior's crutch. Davey, I called earlier. It's Mackie. McCavish. Oh yeah. Hang on, I'm coming down. Footsteps descend behind the door and it swings open heavily. Curtis Davy, the brown eyes are bright. He's wearing a white string vest and white cuff trousers. They're wide. Around his waist is thrown a white sweatshirt. His arms are built for fighting. Beneath the vest and along his arms, a phoenix, feathers of black, orange and red, electric blue, emerald green courses gracefully across six-pack along the path of his ribcage up to the thick neck. It curls around Davy's shoulders. Its feathers spill over his collarbone. Its claws cling to Davy's shoulder. His face stares out at the world from just below the nape of Davy's neck. But the most amazing detail is the flame in its eyes. Tiny but recognisable so beautifully crafted that they look three-dimensional, like obsidian inset to fire opals. Curtis Davy, with his pale skin, ginger hair, brown eyes, would look like his ink familiar if his genuine smile and natural compassion didn't soften his gaze. He ushers a customer out the door. Your skin, pay me when you're done, mate. You're too nice, Curtis. It'll be your downfall. The man with his arm carefully wrapped in bandage tips his cap at Dagus and Mackie and winks at the artist before leaving. Curtis Davy turns to his new clients. Cool, fucking hell, you two fellas look like you've had a good night. Come in then. The stairs ascend steeply. There's just enough space to fit a perpendicular body in their stairwell. Illustrations embellish the walls until there's hardly a patch of bare plaster left to see. They're all taped at the corners, fine, delicate sketches of lotus flowers, ferocious tigers, Japanese girls with their hair piled on top of their heads with chopsticks, wet red lips, big brown eyes, bare tits and backs, and dragons, hundreds of them. Each seems to live on the page, twisting and coiling their way up the wall, sussing them out as they climb. A collage of dream girls and mythical beasts, the drawings spill over each other, 
weaving in and out of each other. A breeze lifts a corner here and there, revealing yet another sketch beneath. Sunlight from somewhere in the dusty interior picks up the translucent ink's colours, the pinks, the yellows beneath the browns, the greys beneath the blacks. Mackie casts an apathetic eye over the illustrations, but Degas is mesmerised. At the top of the stairs, there's three doors. Curtis Davy points out the one that leads to the toilet. They walk past the door to a room that remains anonymous. The other, they enter into at the end of the hall. Sunlight floods the bare floorboards and trickles down the walls with their tapestry of illustrations. There's even more in here. Photos, too, of dismembered body parts, glossy and painted. Disjointed fragments of people, the skin reddened, slightly swollen underneath the beauty of their newly gifted artwork. Dagus turns at the scraping sound to see the barefooted Davy pulling aside a screen that is covered in illustrations and had been previously camouflaging against the walls. The space opens up to reveal a sink and a row of cupboards. Tattooist needles and inks sit pretty and neat in rows on the worktop, next to a kettle with four cups and some tarnished teaspoons and a black ghetto blaster, speckled in dried white gloss paint, its kettle lead piled on top of it, like it fancied itself as a geisha. Beneath the cupboards, laminated signs hang. One looks like a hygiene certificate of some sort. The others are certificates also, but Dagus can't read them. There's a few newspaper article cutouts too, some with Curtis Davies' smiling face in their graphics. Dagus notices that in one, he has his arm around the shoulder of Prodigy's Leroy Thornhill, adorned with one of his tattoos. Make yourselves at home, gentlemen. Curtis raises his voice over the running tap. Dagus is pleased to see him scrubbing his hands and fingers with soap and a nail brush. Pleased, that is, until he sees the leather chair. It looks like some kind of torture mechanism. The only thing is missing is straps for wrists and arms. Dagus' cheeks get hot, like it has summoned its very own theme tune. He is swamped, wrapped, almost suffocated in the heavy riffs and lyrics of Metallica's Sad But True. And he feels Mackie's friendship rest heavy on his shoulders as Mackie slaps him on the back and grins. Hey, I'm your life. I'm the one who takes you there. Hey, I'm your life. I'm the one who cares. Mackie is talking, but Dagus can't hear him. Dagus can only see the grin change to some vague concern, just a glimmer, and then back to that sardonic grin. Mackie's eyes grow darker, his embrace less friendly, more controlling. Mackie gently guides Dagus back towards the chair. He's saying something... But Dagus can't. I'm your dream, make you real. I'm your eyes when you must still. I'm your pain when you can't feel. Sad but true. Mackie winks, ruffles Dagus's hair, and then his form is silhouetted against the window. 
Dega sees the looks on Curtis Davis's face, sees his movements become slower as he searches Dagus's eyes, and Dagus recognises the face of over-concern. He almost laughs. What's it to you, mate? Davy says nothing, but looks at Mackie's back as he stands there, dark form against the bright daylight flooding through the window, hands in pockets, like he looks over his territory. Dagus knows that the emergency that once sat behind his eyes, the one that his Aunt Maddie ignored, flashes every so often, resurgent, like a reflection of sirens and blue lights as they pass him by. His body hardens itself. He knows Davy is trying to work out what is going on between these two customers. Something isn't right, and he can sense it. Stay out of it, Davy. Dagas thinks. And that subtle shift in Dagus's cobalt blue pupils tells Curtis Davy all he needs to know. He looks back at Dagas, and Dagas catches the glimpse of hate, catches his eyes narrow at the corners as Davy once again turns to Mackie's silhouetted form. Dagus knows that he can pick up on the most subtle shifts in a room full of emotions, but he is wondering whether the other two are aware of what is happening here. Echoes and echoes of trauma and mistrust rebound between the three grown men in a space full of sunlight and images, and the track drips down the walls, encasing them in this weird face-off. You, you're my mask, you're my cover, my shelter. You, you're my mask, you're the one who's blamed. Before Mackie turns and catches Davy's look, Davy has adjusted his face. The smiling mask of professionalism replaces the challenging glare. I'm your pain, why you repay, you know it's sad, but true. As Mackie turns, sensing the challenge Davy is emitting through every pore in his weather-beaten skin, the track stops dead. Five little silent beats. They eye each other, above Dagas's head. Still a shadow of it remains, almost undetectable to Mackie. Almost. The sickest solo sings and swells in the room, twisting and coining like a metallic dragon with the illustrations up the walls, into the head, around the skull. Curtis Davy turns and begins to get his equipment prepared on a tray. He retrieves his portfolios and passes them to Dagas, still looking at Mackie, who has turned his back to them again. Hey, I'm your hate. I'm your hate when you want love. Pay. Pay the price, pay for nothing's fair. As the tune dies away, Mackie decides he needs a cigarette. He lights up. You'll have to do that outside, mate. Please. Health and safety. Again, the two look at each other coldly. Dagus's stomach doesn't feel good. Sorry, just the rules. His smile says he's anything but sorry. Dagas notices that amongst the trophies on the shelf and the photographs are martial arts awards, little graphics of fighting men etched onto the front. Behind the trophies, there's a Keith Haring poster 
worn at its corners. Three little jelly bean men in the see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil position. A little pink triangle beneath them, highlighting the plight of the AIDS epidemic. Next to that, an old poster for a charity pub gig in Myland. Survivors UK. The smile remains fixed, almost like a stone smile to Davy's features as Mackie glares at Dagas and exits to have a cigarette. Then Curtis Davy's smile drops suddenly as if it has fallen off a cliff. Sad but true. Davy turns the music down and looks Dagas steady in the eyes. You sure you want to mark up your skin for this guy? Dagas, steel eyes, still temper, pushing back the pain. Who says I'm doing it for him? Dagas leaves casually through the portfolio's photographs, passing each one with a soft, quiet rhythm under the scrutiny of Curtis Davy, They can hear Mackie on the phone, under the window, on the street. Dagas can tell by the sharp, patronising tone that he's talking to one of the boys. Nice work, Dagas is referring to the portfolio. He has stopped on an illustration of a wolf-like animal. The detailing is amazing. But Dagas has hardly noticed the phone conversation seems to be drawing to a close. Curtis Davies' eyes are steady and brown, watching Dagus's every move. Dagus realises he's never met anyone as fearless as Mackie and himself until now. It is making him uneasy. I could, I should refuse to do it on the grounds that you had a bit to drink, if you know what I mean. Davies waits for a response. What is this? Dagas looks right into Curtis's eyes, points to the picture of the wolf. Davy barely glances down at the image. African hunting dog. Painted wolf. We could put you another appointment, give you a wink to think about it. It's alright. Mackie's footsteps are coming up the stairs. A steady tread. Why don't you just stay the fuck out of my business and do what you do best? I don't mean no disrespect, mate. I should ask you for ID. How old are you? Dagus's movements freeze and his eyes narrow. Old enough. You got anything on you? Bank card, passport, driver's license? I don't have none of that, bruv. If I book you in next week, you can bring it with. I don't have none of it, bruv. If you don't want to do it, we just go somewhere else. I'm not saying that. I'm happy to. It's just a formality. The two look at each other for a moment. I don't have them kind of papers, bruv. I don't really live that kind of life. I'm 26, bruv. Curtis Davy considers the statement. Then as if something has dawned on him, he says, You're a traveller? Sort of. Curtis smiles. Well, that makes sense. So am I. Still, titles ain't to be taken lightly. Nothing's going to change in a week. 
The two sentences near collide with each other and Mackie's form appears in the doorway as Davy and Dagas are caught staring deep at each other. Silence descends as Mackie advances towards the two. Everything alright boys? In the corner of his vision, Dagas catches Mackie slip one of Davy's tattoo needles into his pocket. The hairs stand up on his arms. I was just saying to your man here, that it's not advisable to get a tattoo if you are high or have consumed any alcohol in the last 24 hours. A lot of blood loss. Dagas stares at Davy. Davy stares at Dagas. Mackie slips his hand into his pockets and stands over Davy's shoulder. Davy doesn't even flinch. He's a big boy, ain't you, bruv? Dagas breathes steady. If he wants the out he's being offered, he needs to take it now. He hesitates. All eyes on him. I'm cool. He's fine. The voice is too measured, but Davy lets it settle. Let's get on with it then, Mackie says, triumphant. Davy's eyes sink. He nods, ushers Dagas to sit in the chair with his front to the chair's back. What do you want done? Dagas doesn't know. He is aware that Mackie has cocked an ear towards the conversation. You can take something from the portfolio, or I can do it freehand. But you'll have to trust me. In the time it has taken Davy to finish the sentence, Mackie has wandered over, nonchalant-like, and is looking at the portfolio over Dagas's shoulders. The three of them are unaware how sophisticated they look. For a moment, they could be advertising executives, or so-called creatives. Dagas is transfixed by the painted wolf. I like dogs, Mackie says, and walks back to the window. A shimmer of resentment across Dagas's features, a twitch of the hand like it wants to turn the page, and also quietly, as Curtis Davy busies himself getting inks and needles ready by his side. I bet you fucking do. Curtis Davies' touch is deft, the painted wolf comes to life under the graceful quick movements of the master tattooist. Like magic it takes form and shape across the scarred canvas of Dagas' skin, over his shoulder blades, under the dull tingle, the prickling pain, and memories of pain. It breathes. If Dagas flinches, Davy stops, looks at him. Tell me if it hurts too much. Try to relax. You're tense. Curtis Davy utters. I'm always tense. Dagas replies. Trauma can do that, you know. Dagas feels a sharp intake of breath nearly wind him. Stay the fuck out my business. He is holding his breath. But he exhales as Davy continues. I was in a car crash. Took me seven years to recover. The phoenix covers a shitload of scar tissue. Had to have metal clips in my spine. The doctor said I'd never walk again. They say the body can't remember pain. Probably true. 
but the soul can, you know. Both Mackie and Degas are looking at the artist now. Mackie with a sour, dangerous look to his pupils. Degas in surprise. He's not used to people being this open. Davey continues, more matter-of-factly, is he just brave or stupid? Thing is, if you don't relax, you just delay in the pain. You'll feel it worse later. Try and concentrate on breathing. The whisper of a patronising, incredulous laugh escapes from Mackie's form over by the window. But Degas and Davy are locked into the process of pleasure and pain. Artists and canvas are one unit for a moment. Neither of them could care less about Mackie. When Mackie goes outside for the occasional cigarette during the excruciating four hours it takes to complete the masterwork, Degas is able to relax into the pain just for a moment, as if it is a warm bath. It envelopes him, like the scent of white lilies at a cremation. And with Mackie's absence, the movements of Davy's wrists and hands seem to get lighter. A little bit of conversation flows between them, unstinted by Mackie's presence, in these moments that seem almost precious. They find out they are both from traveller stock, that Davy is a four-times UK cage-fighting champion, that he spent four years in China training in martial arts under the Shaolin monks, that he learned to tattoo from the masters in Japan and New Zealand. He is 28, hails from St. Mary's Cray and many other places. He likes heavy metal. He wishes he never knew his father. Having committed to the tattoo cautiously, Davy worked light and careful over Degas's skin. His touch is deft. He is concentrating with the care and attention Degas has rarely experienced. Words of encouragement are all he has for his client. Invites for the youngster to join him in his world of Chinese mysticism and cage fighting, to do something positive with his time. But never pushy. Just an invite. That's all. Keeping camaraderie, they didn't notice that Mackie had appeared at the window once more and is now silently regarding the two of them. Nagas doesn't need to see Mackie's face to know what it says. Shame turns his stomach. Silence settles until the deed is done. And then there's the painted wolf, only it is more stunning than the one in the portfolio because the eyes are a cobalt steel blue. Behind their cold ferocity, a resurgent emergency, like blue lights and sirens receding. The tattoo is a beautiful rebellion. Curtis pauses the CD. Mackie counted out £200 as Davy explained to Degas how to take care of his new artwork. Don't take the bandage off until you go to sleep, alright? I'm going to give you this oil, so get someone to pat it gently on and around your tattoo when you take the bandage off. And don't use any soap or a flannel or anything like that, okay? You know where I am if you have any problems. Just give me a call. As Curtis Davy hands King his phone number, scrawled intimately on a bit of paper, Mackie glares like his stomach's just turned. How much? He snarls at Davy. 
He stares, reaching into his pocket and pulling out a wallet, which Daygas does not recognise. Mackie doesn't carry one, ever, thinks they're for Barra boys and wankers. Curtis Davy is looking at the wallet too, and then up at Mackie, his eyes as keen as Rottweiler's. 300, he says. He's no one's fool, this Davy. Mackie pulls out a massive wad of cash out of the wallet that isn't his and counts through it, slowly. 10, 20, 30, 40. Curtis isn't looking at the money, though. He's looking at Mackie. Mackie grins at Curtis. 1, 10, 20. Is that yours? Curtis interrupts. Mackie stops and looks at him. Well, I'm holding it, so I guess it's mine. He continues. 80, 90, 200. Curtis has his arms folded. He has arms like a farmhand. Massive. He's glaring at a nonchalant, deadpan Macavish who chews his gum and smiles. Just a little. It's just that one of my customers dropped his wallet earlier. Thought you might have picked it up, thinking it was yours. Shit. Dagas thinks. Mackie, I'll pay for it, cuz. He reaches for his own wallet. No, you won't. Mackie glares at him. Okay, then. Dagash thinks and pulls his hand back out of his feeler. He tries to signal to Curtis Davy. Leave it. Just leave it alone. Curtis squares his shoulders. He just isn't that kind of guy. Why don't you check for me? You might have made an innocent mistake, fella. Mistakes happen. Mackie looks down at the wad of money and the wallet, sniffs its leather runs his fingers over it and looks back up at Curtis. Yep, still mine. He grins. All right. Davy shrugs. I guess I'll have to report the loss then. Mackie continues to count out the last hundred quid. Dagas is rubbing the bridge of his nose, his eyes clenched shut, sucking air through his teeth. Really? This has to happen now. 240, 250, 260... Mackie attempts to hand the wad of cash to the artist who stands there with his arms folded unreceiving. Dagas gets ready to leave as Mackie drops the wad onto the countertop. Do what you gotta do, fella, but I wouldn't advise it, mate. Yeah? Why not? Says Davy. Dagas heads down the stairs. God, he wants to leave. Mackie throws the comment over his shoulder on their way out and Davy has to jog to follow them out. Because that will make you a grass and a fag, sneers Mackie jovially. Dagas shunts Mackie out the door, places himself between Mad Mackie McCavish and Davy. Don't look like I've got much of a choice, does it? Davy calls to them down the street. There's always choices, mate. Mackie hollers back. Life's full of them. Mackie is not smiling. Dagas poses an alternative to ensuing meaningless violence in the form of the Lord Duggins and a fair few pints of Stella. Allow it, bruv, he says smoothly. But Mackie only glowers. You better go home first and rest that. He is referring to the fresh tattoo. Nah, I'm alright. What are you going to do? Nothing that concerns you. Dagas sighs. Somehow he persuades Mackie into the duggings for hair of the dog. It's quiet. It's early. It's January the fucking 3rd. After... They stop in at Mackie's because it's nearer than Dagas's, the other end of the long grey stretch that is Ennis Street and he needs to go for a piss. 
When Daygas comes out of the bathroom, Mackie is clenching a blue holdall. What's in that? King inquires. Oh, Mackie shrugs. I've got to run a few errands for my mum. I'll walk you home, he winks. It's on the way to the bus stop, on the way to his mum's. As they near any street, King feels a sense of foreboding. He's been wondering for the last five minutes what will happen if Mackie bumps into Curtis. Inevitably, Mackie stops outside Davies and looks up. What are we doing, Mackie? Is this really fucking necessary? Shut up and keep a lookout, Mackie snarls. King sighs, takes up a position in the alleyway across the street from Davies' tattoo parlour and watches. What is Mackie doing? King is holding his breath, trying to make his thoughts outrun the action that is about to play out in front of him and he feels kind of bad. In another life, him and Curtis might have been mates. From the open window above the door, Metallica blasts out, guitars spinning into the street like horses bolting in an electrical storm. Briggs has bought a blue holdall. Shit. Out of it he retrieves a drill and fixes a drill bit to the end. Dagas's stomach is in knots. Mackie takes the drill and stands at the door. It is put to the spy hole. Something falls to the floor. Dagas reaches for the phone in his pocket. Maybe he can call Davy. He doesn't have to say his name. All he has to do is say don't answer the door. Don't be fucking ridiculous. He speaks to himself roughly. That is not going to happen. Mackie takes something from his mouth. Gum. He takes something from his pocket. Needle. He attaches one to the other and he puts it through the hole in the door. You. You're my mask. You're my cover. My shelter. Do. Do my work. Do my dirty work. Scapegoat. Mackie puts the spy hole drill and drill bit back in the bag as Dagas crouches, wide-eyed and shaking his head in the alley. The music cuts out again. Five little beats. Fancy a game of knock down ginger ginger, says Mackie, hollering up at Davy's window like some demented Romeo. A figure appears, but it's not Davy's. It is female. The figure will not be able to see who is speaking directly below them. As Degas backs down the alley, mesmerised, he sees Mackie ring the doorbell, sees him signal to Degas to leg it, sees him saunter off down the road to the bus stop. But Degas is glued to the ground. What the fuck have you done, Macavish? Why didn't the door open? In a moment of violent choreography, three events happen. The solo kicks in, sad but true. The ambulances and the cop cars descend on the quiet street, and Curtis Davy is dragged out by his customer onto the steps of his tattoo parlour clutching his right eye. A blood-red river courses down the artist's face until the sirens and Curtis's beloved Metallica ruthlessly suffocate his screams. I'm your dream, make your will. I'm your eyes when you must steal. I'm your pain when you can't feel. Sad but true, I'm your truth telling lies. I'm your reason alibis. I'm inside, open your eyes. A 
A week later, Daygas ventures cautiously down McDavy Street again. But the studio is gone. Nothing but an empty shell. Its window panes blinded by a Cytex. He stands outside the laundrette, staring into its sterile interior. The washing machines are still spinning. Life goes on. <laughs>